0: I come to you in the name of Jesus to encourage you to get in on that. What I am saying to you is some of you might be resisting what God is doing among us. Last week we talked about this, how we want to be a people that not only we get to see the fulfillment of God's promises in our lives, but we also want to pass that on to the next generation. And some of you might be stuck. And I just want to encourage you that God is not done yet. And he has made his promise. And the reason that we so passionately sing about this covenant that God has provided through Jesus Christ is because that is our hope. We build our life on the solid rock of Jesus. Get off of the sand. Get off of the sand. It's overrated Build your life on the rock, the rock of Jesus. And the Holy Spirit is calling you to be a part of what he's doing. And I pray that you will not settle for less. Don't settle for less. Don't settle for something second best to what God has for your life. Everybody say, can't stop. not stop. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> We're limping along, aren't we? We're just limping along. Everybody say, can't stop, can't stop. won't stop. Won't stop. Or you're not going to stop. And some of you here are trying your best, but then you're also resisting according to what God is talking to you about. And I, just, I pray that you'll listen to the Holy Spirit today. I'm going to speak to you, but I also know that the Holy Spirit wants to quicken in his heart and bring to mind some things in your life That you need to stop resisting and start listening to God. And I pray that you'll listen to him and not me when he speaks to you. And that you'll be led by the Spirit. Last week we talked about claiming the promises of God and being obedient in that. Today I want to talk to you about something that has been on my heart. And I want to share with you. And it is about The church. I've been thinking about this, just the people of God. Last week, that was in the context of what we were talking about when we talked about the walls of Jericho and just the whole, how much, what it was, the promises of God and walking in obedience in that. But I want to remind you part of that was not only individually to be obedient, but for the people of God to listen to what God was saying and for us to accomplish all that God is doing. I just want to say to you right now, nobody in their right mind would have put this group of people together. Nobody. Look at us. We're a bunch of mutts. We are. No purebreds here. We all, none of us have it together. God ripped us out of where we were. He interrupted our life and he brought us together. And I want to encourage you Nothing in the world, in the world's eyes, if we didn't have the Lord and didn't have the power of the Holy Spirit, we'd all done, fought and fussed and broken up. And, but God has rescued and grasped us and he's not done with you. And here, I said that last week, he's not done with you yet. And today I came to say he's not done with us yet as a people of God, as the people of God. I've been thinking about this, thinking about church. And I, I want you to know something, and, and this is very important. The church doesn't belong to me. This church does not belong to me. I know we use pronouns like, hey, uh, you, can you?" I'd love for you to come to my church. I mean, that's okay. I, I'm not the word police here. I'm not talking about that. But this whole idea even that the church of what God has brought together here does not belong even to us. It belongs to Jesus. You might say, Well, where do you get that? Well, Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. He's the owner. Jesus is the owner. But it's not just he's the owner. He's also the cornerstone of the church. Ephesians 2.20. Built, this church is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone and he's also the foundation of this church 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 11 for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid which is Christ Jesus he is the owner he's the cornerstone and he is the foundation of what brings us together the church now in the New Testament, we see the word ekklesia, that word, that Greek word, which really, if you translate it, especially in the context of a Hebrew culture, means community, that, that there's, there's a very soulishness to the word, but specifically, the word means set apart or a consecrated. So we are the consecrated people that have been called together and God is not done with us. And here's what you might say, well, what is the church for? Here's what the church is for. The ch- church, we as a church come together, we have a ministry to God. We, when we come together, this is not a concert. We come in, when we pray, there's a little group of us that get together right over here at 8.30 every Sunday morning, right over here, and we pray. And inevitably, two or three people will pray for this. Lord, we pray that you will be glorified, that you will be honored, and that you will be magnified, and that people would be attracted to your glory, Lord. That's the Jordan, somebody prays like that. That's a very Jordan prayer, isn't it? That sovereignty of God thing, you know. When we get together, now some of you, I didn't grow up thinking like this, so I am maybe rocking your boat a little bit, because you think you came in here just to get because I mean, it makes me feel better. It makes me, you know, it helps me. And that's good. But we get together because we minister to the Lord. I didn't grow up thinking that. I thought I was going First Baptist Church of Canova because my mom and dad wanted me to. And we were just doing, you know, going over and seeing how the choir did. And we all talked about, you know, we got home. It was like a bunch of judges sitting around. What you think of the sermon? I don't know, man. That was rough. I don't like it when he talks like that or this. And what do you think of the choir? Oh, I love it when Susie Jones sings, she's so good. When we get together, listen, one of the things I want us to grow in is our ministry to God. Now some of you are like, oh, ministry to God? We are glorifying the Lord. This is not a concert. And everybody here is called to worship. And what we're trying to do on Sunday morning is we're adding glory, we're agreeing with all of creation and the angels and all of heaven when we magnify the Lord. There's a ministry going on. We are ministering to the Lord. In fact, when I was growing up, I didn't even think about that, how you can bless the Lord, that we are adding to God. I started getting a picture of this a little bit during Promise Keepers. Anybody ever go to Promise Keepers here? Promise Keepers back in the 90s. I'm an old school guy, man. We used to go to Promise Keepers at the Hoosier Dome, at Soldier Field, 93,000 people, 93,000 men getting together. And when you were there, I got this picture of people laying down palm branches and worshiping and glorifying the Lord, adding to the glory of God. Now, don't act like you don't know what I'm talking about right now when we talk about worship. Because I've been to basketball games, I've been to football games, I've been to concerts. And people are rowdy, and they're good worshipers. And they holler and scream and sweat and get at it. They're excited, and they yell and scream. They raise their hands. Somebody makes a basket. Yeah! You come into church. Hey, 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 easy there. Don't get too excited about this. What are y'all worked up about? Only the God of the universe and his son, Jesus Christ, who is above every other name in heaven and in earth. You see, our culture is full. I'm not to ministry to others yet. I'm not, I'm just getting started here. I'm still on God, all right? You have to put that back one. I'm not done. Don't push me. There's a clock right there that I'm not paying attention to. So... Oh, yeah, yeah, clap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, the, <laughs> the children's workers do not clap for that, by the way. They do not talk. What was I talking about? Okay, so you, you go, when you go to these basketball games, here's the problem. It's great worship for a bad God. That's what it is. You go to a big concert or something. You can't put your life into the hands of 13 pounds of air. I don't want you to do that. I don't want us to be a church that has bad worship for a good God. I want us to come in looking to glorify the Lord and to to be a people that worship. I want you to bring it on Sunday morning. I want to encourage you to do that. There's also the ministry to others. You can turn the slide now. I want to st- there's a great mystery. Well, I just the idea that I'm coming in here, we've got a bunch of 16, 17, 18-year-olds right here. We got people, we've got some children that are 7, 8, 9, 10 years old over here. But we've also have people that are 89, 90 years old. We have 35-year-olds, we have 55-year-olds, we got people that are 43 all over the board here. We've got 20-somethings. And I'm standing up here and preaching, and there's a great mystery to what's going on. And I am praying, one of the things about our church is that we're not into the traditions of men, but the truth of God as a community of believers. That we're all on our own journey, and here is what I want to tell you. This is the one. The older I get, the more I am realizing In our culture, this is almost impossible because there's so much anger and there's so much fear and there's so many conflicts and people have a very, we have a very difficult time loving each other and teaching and encouraging each other. I mean, I'm just shooting straight with you today. I'm just telling you, this is easier said than done. Because so many times, somebody says something, and we get offended, or we get hurt, or we're, we get mad, and we're not going back, and it's hard. This is why church hopping is so prevalent in our culture, man. You go, then the preacher talks about something, and you're like, oh, I'm out. Stop the hop. We are to minister to one another. Look when Jesus prayed for us, what did he pray? In John 17, that we would love one another. It's just easier said than done because we have all kinds of possibility for being mad. I mean, just in our youth group, just, people just say or do things, some, somebody says something at school, somebody says something here and all at once, you know, you're just mad and everything like that. Here's what I'm saying. The devil is a roaring lion. He comes to kill and steal and destroy. And He wants us feuding with each other. He wants us to look just like everywhere else, where people can't get along. And God's calling us to ministry to other people, to love and prefer, because he's not done with us, and that's the third thing. Part of us being the ecclesia is to, uh, we have a ministry to the world. We're supposed to be the church. We're supposed to be the church out and we're supposed to be taking it to work. We're taking what God is doing among us and, and this truth that God is implanted through the word of God and by the spirit of God and we're supposed to be taking this to school and we're supposed to be taking it to the streets and to the 4-H fair and to the, our neighborhoods and to the grocery store. Everywhere we go, there's a ministry to the world. And for us to to really try to be the church. I heard a pastor not too long ago say, what we avoid, Satan invades. What we avoid, the devil invades. So many times we back off and we're like, hey, I'm not going to go over there. Well, let me tell you something. We take our hands off of it. You try not to, you take the salt and the light out of it. And before long, Satan will come in and he will invade that. So I'm calling us to be ministers to the world too. But I want to believe in the time I have remaining, I want to talk to you about a very specific term that is used in the Bible that describes the church. And that is the term, the bride of Christ. Now that may seem like, oh, you may glaze over just immediately, the bride of Christ. What is that? Well, if you have your Bible, I want you to turn to John chapter 5, verse 22. We're going to talk about the church, and we're going to talk about what it is that God's calling us to be and to not give up on it. I mean, you could go to John chapter 3, if you have time, you could do this. John uh, chapter 3, verse 29, when John the Baptist sees Jesus and he talks about the bride. Uh, The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. And then he says, I must decrease and he must increase. Remember that? Well, we also find this in Matthew 9. We find it in the the Gospels, in the epistles, in the book of Revelation. Even some shadowy uh, tones of this comparison, this metaphoric language, which is the bride of Christ. And some of you are like, what does that mean? I've always been a little uncomfortable with that. Well, I hope I clarify it. And I'm going to read a passage that most of you have heard either in marriage counseling or at your wedding. Everybody uses this. Ephesians 5. It's a very important passage. And uh, most of you know it inside of marriage. Well, today I'm going to talk to you about the bride of Christ. And I want you to remember this as we look and we talk about who we are, who are God's people. Here's what Paul writes to the church at Ephesus in verse 22. Wives, submit to your husband as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Now, some of you couldn't get past that first, verse 22, wives submit to your husband. I want you to see the description of what this, this admonition is to husbands. It says, wives submit Husbands, Because some people go, oh, that's, oh, that doesn't sound right. I want you to know something. Husbands, you're supposed to give up your, all those things. What did Jesus do? How did Jesus treat the church? How did Christ love the church? He gave up glory, came and gave his life. And there's this description of why he did that here that he was giving up his life. You might say, which is the bigger ask? I want you to know that's a pretty big command on both sides. But remember, he's giving this also as a metaphor for the church. This mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. You know, if uh, you came to me and you said, hey, Johnny, I really like you. I, 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 like, I like your style. I like who you are. I man, I, I really like what you're all about. And I, I, in fact, I, I kind of love you, man. I, I think you're a great guy. But, you know, I, I really don't like your wife. Uh, she is, how do I put this? She is boring. And you know what? Not only is she boring, I think she's a hypocrite. Well, you know what? You and I have a problem. We do. If you come to me and you talk to me about my wife, that you say you love me, we got a problem. You got a problem with me. Well, you know, that's what people talk like. You hear this all the time. People say, oh, I love the Lord, but you know what? I don't like church. Who needs church? Who needs the church? It's, they're boring. Those people are boring. You know what? I think there are a bunch of hypocrites too over there. If you have a problem with the church, you've got a problem with Jesus because the bride of Christ is the church. You're talking about his bride when you're talking like that. When you talk about the church, you're talking about the bride of Christ. So many people, they say things like that about hypocrites. Church is full of hypocrites. Well, I guess you've never read read Romans 7. I mean, read Romans 7. I mean, they're working this out in the New Testament. I mean, we have all these kind of encouragements, but look at Romans 7, verse 18. For I know, as Paul is saying, for I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. You see, the truth is, all of us have blown it. So when I hear people talk about the church, and they say, oh, it's just a bunch of... You're talking about the bride of Christ as the church. Well, what makes us the bride of Christ? That's what I want to talk to you. The first thing, when, when you think about the bride of Christ... The first thing is when he uses this metaphor of marriage and the the, the husband and the wife and us being the bride of Christ and He is the he He is the husband, we have a relationship. Do you see the intimacy? There's no intimacy in any relationship in the world that's more intimate than a marriage. It's got those three explosive loves. I mean you can have Phileo fellowship with friends. But there's not the Eros, which is the physical, and there is the Agape, which is that commitment. All three of those in one. And we have that intimacy with this metaphor when he says, We're the bride of Christ. We have a relationship. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. For no one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. God wants to be intimate with us. I want you to know it's God saying when he comes to us and he invites us into this relationship and for us to be a part of, of the body of Christ, he's saying, I want to know you in a deeper way. How many people here have ever put cologne on their car? Anybody? I guess I'm alone. I'm the only person that's ever done it here. Now I was dating Sherry. I would go and pick her up at the Nashville airport And before I left, I'm an old school guy. I would put on my polo cologne, laughter insert there, or my Halston Z14. That was my favorite. And I would take the Halston Z14, but see, I wouldn't just put it on me. I had a two-door 1979 white Monte Carlo with a red interior. And I would go out with that Halston Z14 and I would spray it on the seats. Because I was going to go pick up Sherry. You see, the car was really nice, but it was a little jank. It was. It was kind of run down a little bit. The, anybody ever had the interior roof kind of peel off and start sagging a little bit? <laughs> yeah, that was my Monte Carlo. After we got married, <laughs> after we got married, my wife... We couldn't, hardly started anything. It was sitting outside of our apartment. And I'd put uh, put a little ad, some paper. I don't even know what I did. I put the word out and said, you know, I said, I'd like to get $1,000 for this car. And my wife's like, listen, if you have to pay them $50 to take that thing, just go ahead and do it. (laughs) That was our washer and dryer. It was $1,000. We got $1,000 for that car. I say that because I you know when you're when you're trying your best, you're putting your best foot forward, aren't you? I mean you're just putting on, you're just kind of faking it either, even too. Then you get married, and then like I think I was married to Sherry for like a couple of weeks before I realized she had glasses. <laughs> what? You wear glasses? <laughs> what just happened? I mean, she looked really good in him, I was good with that. I, I was, I, but it was like, what? What just happened? But you kind of, you romance each other and everything. Let me tell you something. Our 30 years, is we, I stopped spraying cologne on the seats of my car. <laughs> is this the real you now? You know what I'm saying? All the warts, all the hang ups, all the stuff. Uh, I'm saying that because God wants the real you, intimacy. He wants a love relationship with you. We have that in Christ. As the bride of Christ, that's who we are. Here's another thing that this shows us when he uses the metaphor, the bride of Christ or the church. That is, we have a refuge. We have security and we have protection that we see. I, I, I am not, I, 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 especially as a pastor, I'm always trying to be the peacemaker and everything. But, uh, and, and there's a, a lot of different uh, scenarios over the years, but uh, I remember one time, and uh, we'll have to work this out later because I'm gonna use this story, but hopefully. Um, <laughs> I, one time, we lived in Canova, okay? So this was a long time ago, we lived in Canova. And and usually I am like, Sherry knows. She's like, you're just always so, like with the words, you're always diplomatic and everything. Well, we were supposed to go pick up grandma in Indianapolis, but it snowed like six inches. And so we were like, back in West Virginia, you don't go up and down those hills like that. I mean, you know, so we were, uh, so we didn't. So uh, her dad, who passed away last year, uh, he was very assertive. He he could kind of let you know what was going on. So he called Sherry, and he kind of, uh, they didn't get as much snow up in Fort Wayne as we were in West Virginia. And Sherry, he just he got really angry at Sherry. Well, Sherry calls me, and she is in tears. And she is crying, and she's like, oh, really upset me. I wanted to go get her, too, but we couldn't go get her and everything like that. Oh, I was mad. I usually, I'm like, now, honey, it's okay. He'll get over it, and you'll be over it, and it'll be okay. Oh, no, I wasn't stopping there. I hung him with my wife. I picked one, two, one, nine, uh, back in the day, all right, two, one, nine. And I called back in forth Wayne. And uh, he picked up the phone, and I said, hey, you called Sherry just now. kind of got her upset. I don't want you doing that anymore. He's like, oh, well, I think you should have, you know, and everything. And I was like, uh, you're not going to speak to my wife like that ever again. I'm telling you right now. And I kind of went off a little bit. All right? I got mad. I was in church, too. I was in my office at church. And I'm like, I am really terrible. Like, I had to shut the door before I made the phone call. And, I mean, I was, I, was, I was ripping it. I was going for it a little bit. I felt free. And he said, after I got done, he said, is this my son-in-law who's a pastor? <laughs> I said, yes, it is. Don't talk to my wife like that. We have the protection as the bride. Jesus is the one who's provided for us everything. And you and I don't know how much, how many times, not only has Jesus saved us eternally by his grace and by his blood, but how many times a sovereign God has saved our hind ends when we were, were on a, a path of destructions? I just want to encourage you today. You know, part of I think being married is I want to be a man worth And I know Sherry, she wants to be a woman worth dying for. And I think in marriage, in this metaphor of being the bride of Christ, God has shown up so many ways in our life. It's a picture of the gospel. Last Sunday night, we come back on Sunday, and we had a, 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 a counseling session, Sherry and I did, at like 4 o'clock. And, you know, we, we come home, and then we get our loose pants on. You know, I don't dress like this like all afternoon. You know what I'm saying? I mean, there's a football game on, and I'm going to put my loose pants on. And then I get redressed, but I don't get dressed like this. So I, last Sunday night, I got I dressed got, uh, dressed right before we came over, like four. We had to be here at four. So uh, I threw on a wrinkled flannel shirt, hung out with a pair of jeans, all right, with a pair of slip-on black shoes. Sherry, she gets dressed up like it's Sunday morning. I mean, she's all dolled up. She's got the jewelry hanging down. She's got everything's made up and the hair and everything like that. And as I got out of the car, I was like, we do And I don't know if anybody saw us and the person that we were meeting with, they probably thought, you two do not go together. Look at you with your wrinkled flannel shirt, and her, she looks like a million bucks. And here's what most people would look and see the two of us. That dude is way out of his league. And here's what I wanna tell you. Many people look at the church with all of its warts and know what they know about God, and they look at the church and they say, they are way out of their league. I want you to know, when you hear somebody say something like that, you just grab it and go with it, because that's the gospel. That's the gospel. It's grace. It's by grace we have been saved. It's not because of anything we've done. That's, the, that's grace. In fact, when you hear anything like that, when people say, oh, they're a bunch of hypocrites, yep, yeah, you're right, can you believe it? Can you believe that God loved us so much? Can you believe this? That he gave his son for us that, and, he, and he adopted us in? We're like in. Can you believe that we got in? And that we are the children that have been adopted. So don't just stop there. This brings you into the, because of that, we have been made right. We have rights. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Walk in that. Walk in what Jesus has done. Pray according to that, to him and what God has done. A few years back, we were having trouble with our internet. And so we were calling Mediacom quite a bit. And I remember that uh, I I walked in one time and Sherry was calling. I was like, could you please call? And it was one of those situations where my name was on the account, and I will never forget this, because this kind of jazzed me a little bit, because Sherry was like, hey, look, uh, I am his wife. You don't need to talk to him. I'm good enough, I'm gonna to talk to you. And I was like, "Ooh, I like that, that's good. I'm saying that because walk in who you are. You have been made right, you have rights. Not according to like how we feel or we're all jazzing ourselves up here, According to the word of God, live your life according to the word of God. Pray according to the word of God. Live according to the word of God. Make decisions based on the word of God. Don't forget who you are. Don't forget. The best is still to come. I'm gonna talk about that, and that's that's next week's sermon. Next week, I've I've been wanting to talk to you about this next week, and I'm looking forward to it, because the best is still to come for us who love the Lord. So I, I, as we leave here, I just wanted to kind of remind you guys of who we are. And we, we talked about this as a leadership team because I want to make it simple because sometimes, you know, the longer, there's this thing called complexity drift. I know some of you who work for larger companies, you have this situation where the more complex the situation, the more drift away from your mission. And I don't want us to do that either. I just wanna very quickly remind you of what we are about. What is our vision? What is our mission? Our mission, I put it on the back of your outline. You can look at it today and any time. Our mission is this. Our passion is to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. That's our mission, period. That comes from Matthew 28, for us to disciple, to make disciples of all people. And we want to, no matter who you are, and by the way, that doesn't mean just people who just, maybe this is your first time in church, or whether you've been in church for 40 years, we want you to have a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. So what's our vision? That's our mission. What's our vision for the future? Well, we want to be a church where people can land and launch. We want to be a church that reaches out, and we want to invite people where people are not uncomfortable, where it makes sense when people walk in, that it's relevant. What we do is biblical. What we do, we try to do, we're trying to be relational in all our ministries. And so when we say that we wanna make a place where people, if this is your first time, we want you to have a sense and to be open. We don't wanna have an insider's club where it's like us four no more. Like we're just blocking people from coming. We wanna be a place where people can land. But here's the other thing. We also want to be a place where people are launched into ministry. We want to be a launching pad for you to take and minister to the world. And so we want to equip you. So how do we do that? Well, here's what we do. We only do five things we, we talk about here at the church. The first thing is we talk about is we want to live a life of worship, of prayer and worship. We want we will create environments of authentic worship where people Want to participate invite others to join in. You know, you can't make people love God or love each other, but you can create an environment where that can take place. That's what we're trying to do. Second thing is small groups. It's all over our ministries, whether it's children, students, or adults. We will have small groups for accountability, belonging, and care, with our focus being on life change and discipleship. That's what we want. We want to see people's lives changed. Family. We think we're also called to primarily focus on helping families. We will guide kids, engage students, and resource families to grow closer to Jesus through, how do we do that? Through irresistible environments, authentic relationships, and helpful teaching. And so we want to, those three things are the things that we consider even when we think about The family. We also, the fourth thing is missions. We will train people to live lives that are on mission from day to day. We will partner with organizations around the world that focus on leadership and multiplication, leadership, multiplication, and reaching the least reached with the gospel. And then lastly, leadership development. We will intentionally develop leaders in every area of our ministries in order to make room for exponential growth. And so those are the five things, the strategies that we talk about as pastors, as leaders, because God has given us this vision. Don't forget, we are the the bride of Christ, the body of Christ. God is not only not done with you, yet he is not done with us. God has called us to join him in what he's doing. And I pray today that you will know that we our hope is great, that we are the bride of Christ and he loves us, he protects us, and that we have rights only according to the word of God and we need to give ourselves fully and devoted to him. Father, what's impossible with us is possible with you. And I pray, Lord, that you would do that, that you would orchestrate, you would protect us, you would help us to walk in the boldness of Christ, even through persecution, Lord, that you would help us to know that you have ended and you have overcome the death and the grave. Lord, you have forgiven our sins, Lord, according to Jesus' work on the cross. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to put our hope in him. I pray that in Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand right now? We wanna sing our benediction. Team's gonna lead us in this. And I want this to be our prayer as we leave today.